today, I would like to welcome a rising star of British basketball coaching, currently the head coach of Great Britain Under-16s and part of one of the top academies in the country, Myersco College. I would like to welcome Coach Troy Cully. Coach, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Tony. It's, uh, it's, good to, it's good to catch up. Really uh, excited about uh, this one because um, you've got a really interesting journey. I mean, most coaches do, especially coming from this country. Um, but, you know, you, you know, you touch with quite a lot of important people in, in British basketball coaching history. And you are a real student of the game, um, someone that really uh, takes time to understand both the history and also different concepts and stuff. So I want to really dive into that. But let's talk about where you're from, you know, where you were first introduced to basketball and how this kind of fused itself into coaching basketball. Sure. I mean, I'm so I'm from Brixham, um, which is a small fishing town in in Devon. Um, the area is commonly known as as Torbay. Um, so, not the the basketball hotbed in in the country. I think um, you know everyone has their opinion of what the southwest region is. Um, but I was you know very fortunate that when I was um, when I was growing up, there was there happened to be a court near my house, and you know like a, a play court. And there was two guys that used to play um, pretty much every day and used to always see it. Um, and it was one year, you know, I grew up playing football a little bit and the, the fair was in town, so we couldn't play football. So it was like, right, well, all the, you know, the kids on the street I grew up in, you know, flocked to this like multi-games arena and we all started playing basketball. So I had a little bit of basketball just because of, you know, you did it in P at school. Um, but it was, you know, once I got into it, I was like, oh, this is... You know, I'm enjoying this. Um, you know, I was quite tall, you know, as a teen, and I was like, right, well, you know, this is something that that I want to do. Um, and how do I how do I go about it? And you know, I remember the two the two guys, the two brothers, um, you know, Dan and Mike Hall. At the time, they were both students at Churston Grammar School, and they were coached by Rick Waldridge and they were coached by Norman Waldron. And I didn't know who these two people were at the time, um, and at the school I was at, Brixton Community College, again, there was no basketball, but in the, the year I started picking up the game, there was, um, there was a player in the year above me called Sean Porter, who spent time at, it used to be Tamar Valley Cannons, and then he went to um, you know, Reading Rockets Academy as a junior, and he then came back and played for Bristol. So it was like, oh, okay, so I'm seeing like these little influences. Um, I want to get involved in this. So back in, back in those days, it was, you know, open up the yellow pages and find the nearest community session and I went along to the community session and you know after about a year um, I was like right well you know where's the nearest club and that's when you know I found Torbay Tigers I I met Rick and that's kind of how it all started to happen. So we're I mean those are two names um, uh, synonymous with you know first the England you know school set up um, and then more importantly national national junior teams especially um i would 
guess Rick was 80s and then 90s. I mean, he's obviously a pivotal person, had uh, a role in so many coaches. So, taught, you know, taught, and obviously Norman um, was a, a, a very, very esteemed person in, in what was the ESBBA, if I'm not mistaken. Um, first, I think he ran it for a number of years and uh, was a team manager on numerous England teams. So um, that's an incredible influence, the fact of seeing that. So talk about, you know, first meeting those guys and, and what, you know, what they, they did to you. And did you start seeing something about coaching with them when you were with them? Yeah, I think I can say, I mean, you know, I was just very lucky that you had, that, you know, I see it now when I look back that both of those guys were at that point in my journey very early on. Um, you know, I think they, they definitely coached the right way. And it was very much like, as soon as I got involved, it was, you had this family feel of the club. The club was, it was all volunteer led, but it was a very deep sense of, you know, giving back. And that was, that was kind of embraced and reinforced by everybody from the top down. Um, you know, so I was encouraged to do my, you know, my level one coaching badge when I was, I think, 15, like back in 2006. And that was for the sole purpose of, you know, yes, you're going to be around, but you can help out with some of the, the under 12s or the under 10s community sessions. So and I kind of, because I came to the game quite late, I saw that as a way of, Rick pitched it as a way as, you know, this will help improve you as a player. And, you know, you're going to get fast gains because now you're having to understand the game to teach it to someone. So that's going to help you. So, yeah, I got involved very early on, um, you know, and I think for those, there was like probably three or four seasons, my role was literally just sit on the bench when I wasn't playing um, just to assist Rick and run some of the community sessions. So, you know, I wasn't even thinking about this is me coaching long-term or anything like that. It was just, I fell in love with the game very early on and just wanted to be around it. Sure. Um, and then, yeah, it's kind of, I spent, what was it, you know, 2006 through till 2013 there in, in Torbay before I left. And um, so, I mean, we'll come back to Rick in, in a minute because I know that, you know, he's a really big part of your, um, you know, your success and also your development. And I think it's really important, something I haven't touched on. I, I want to do some things differently with you um, in our podcast today, but, you know, talk a little bit about in a minute, we'll talk once you've gone past some of your journey, talk about how Rick has been a mentor to you, because I know you talk to me about that on a regular basis. Um, so from Torbay, you go to um, where, where was the next stop? And at that time, what are you thinking, you know, with regards to playing stroke coaching? So I, I didn't, I didn't first head coach until I was 19. And then Rick gave me the under 14s team, which off the, was off the back of like a, like a central venue league that he ran for the Torbay area. So you had loads of all the different secondary schools, each had a team, they kind of came together to play and then that then became like the feeder for our for our club team. So at that point, that's when I started to, you know, get the bug for, I like leading this, I like leading, um, I like actually coaching and making decisions myself and figuring stuff out that, the, the you know, the later years at Torbay, that's when I started thinking, right, well, how can I, how can I do more and get more? Mm. And, you know, I think it was 2010, I first got introduced to like the Southwest APC 
I think it was APC and then rebranded RPC and it's now Aspire. Um, and that was, again, it was a chance just for me to go in as an assistant. Um, and that was run by Paul Christensen at the time, which is another, another name within the, within the region. Um, and that was it. Not, you know, just the, not, not just the name in the region. You know, I, I, I was very fortunate to have coached against Paul many, many times as a, as a young coach um, with Gloucester Jets. And um, he ran one of, one of the best programs, you know, certainly predates the Bristol type programs. And I would have said for sure would have been for that region would have been by far the highest level, you know, until... Yeah you know now you know the Raiders and stuff and then obviously with Bristol now running their, their BBL franchises very quick question just before you say about the the um what what made you go obviously I understand the geography of the area pretty well um, because my yeah. parents what made you go this way instead of going towards the Raiders was there any reason um because Plymouth were starting to develop as a as a as a BBL club almost at that time um what what was your what what what, what, what were your reasons to try to go upwards instead of going towards the, the Raiders and Plymouth? For sure. I think it was, you know, I had a lot of good influences at Torbay. Um, and then even within like junior national league, like we were having success within the region um, that I kind of got to the point where I was like, if I am going to commit to progressing, like why would I stay in the region? Like, let's go and see something different. Let's go and, be around a different environment, a different style, level of basketball, whatever it may be. And that's where um, there's, a, there's a guy that I met in the Southwest program called Mark Cernsich. And he, at the time, he was at Taunton um, working with Cam Seeley. Right. And he left, he left um, I think, 2012 and went and joined Medway Park Crusaders. And then the last year that I was in Torbay, you know, I kind of was coaching the junior team, still playing a little bit for like the men's team. And then I found out very quickly that player coaching is incredibly tough. Um, and I wasn't, you know, as a, as a 19 year old now coaching people that I grew up with and been around all my time, it just wasn't working. So I made the decision to, to kind of stop playing at that point And I'm going to focus on coaching. And then that's when I started having the conversations with Rick around, you know, where do I go next? Um, what do I do next? And, you know, I think there was, you know, not many people know it, but I think that's where me and Rick hit a, a rough patch because I think it was not necessarily set up for me to, to kind of bring Torbay through. Um, but we probably didn't speak for a little while just because I made the decision to leave. Um, but then, like I say, you know, I met Mark through the Southwest program and he was already working with Jesse Suzanne down in, in Kent. I met Jesse when, you know, he'd come to, to Devon one year, they brought the England under 15s down and Rick had hosted them at Churston. So that just kind of seemed like a natural step because, you know, I knew people anyway within the region and you did like the, the regional tournaments and things like that. But I think having Mark who knew Jesse, that was kind of way in and we had a conversation and that materialized pretty quickly that I then transitioned, you know, out of Torbay and, I went to, to university in Kent and then, you know, joined what was then Medway Park, which is now Kent Crusaders. Wow. It's, I mean, um, you know, Jesse's name has come up 
numerous times in the podcast and uh you know it's just to me shows me how much you know that program has you know influenced not actually just players but more and so coaching in this country um so many good coaches have gone through there um so you you go to university and now are you are you starting to think coaching this could be me or are you still you know, you want to just become a better coach. You're not sure what the direction of life is going to be or what, how, how was that, that feeling? Um, and then secondly, you know, who were you working with down, um, down at Medway? What, what, what were the other coaches and who were the other coaches there? I think it was, you know, growing up when I started getting into coaching, even when I first started playing basketball, resources weren't readily available like they are now. Um, so I remember, you know, used to have like the NBA on five live and you had the ULEB cup, which used to be on Eurosport. And it was always kind of like a, a pipe dream of, oh, you know, I'd, you know, like anyone does is I'd love to be at that level one day, either playing or coaching. And as the time went on, it came more and more like I'd love to do that coaching wise. Um, but honestly, I think the conversation I had with Rick was literally just I want to be a better coach. Where's the next step for me? That's going to challenge me. And, you know, when. The reason I fell on Kent was the fact that, you know, they had a whole club structure from top to bottom. And, you know, Torbay didn't. You know, Torbay was very much, we had teams based on what was around, you know. So a lot of the time it was under 14s and under 16s. If there was enough of the under 16s that returned, we'd have an under 18s team. If there wasn't, then we just encouraged those players that were returning to maybe push in to play for the men's team. So I think what attracted me to Kent was I knew Mark. So I knew somebody going into a new environment because, you know, although I moved away from home, it was still, you know, it's an adjustment moving away and you know, doing something completely new. And then it was a fact that they had, you know, you had your under 14s, you know, 16s prem at the time, 18s prem, division four men, division one men. And, you know, you had the, you know, the academy structure as well underneath that. So it was really just a chance, you know, and when it was, you know, pitched in the conversation I had with Jesse, it was you know, your first year is just you come in and we've already got all of our coaches established, but it's a chance for you to literally just be a sponge and be around as much as you want to be around. And, you know, you, you want to develop an opportunity, here it is, you know, make of it what you will sort of thing. Mm. And who were the coaches that were in that program and the academy program at that time? So you had, when I joined, you had Ivan Cuesta, a Spanish coach, which was brought over to run the D1 program. Um, Jesse was there. Uh, Mark Cernsic was there. There was a, a French guy who ran the university team who did the under-16s, um, Lorraine Dagger. And you know, I think Lorraine Dagger taught me so many lessons as a young coach, which weren't even related to basketball. Wow. You know, and it's stuff that now you know, I look back as I've kind of gone through this journey and some of the things that she, you know, she would say on the way to games or in some of the meetings we have really resonate now. And like the biggest one, I think, which is quite, you know, quite not necessarily an issue, but quite common in today's society is just around like, you know, self-awareness of, you know, who you are, what you need and, you know, what are you going to do sort of thing. And that was something we were talking about, you know, years ago, which at the time I was thinking, well, this doesn't, relate to te you know, technique or tactics you know why why is this relevant um mm. but yeah and then after you know after that first year um you know there's some there's some shake-ups and that's when you know adam davies comes in and 
you know, I knew Adam from when I was doing some of the Southwest stuff and yeah, it's a kind of, you know, and then I think from off the back of that now, like a lot of coaches that have come through, you know, coaching those junior teams have been involved with national teams at some point. Great segue. Um, so that's going to be my next question. You know, um, you are one of the coaches, I mean, that have gone through the pathway, a real pathway when it comes to both England basketball and then, you know, which filters into the Great Britain programs. And you've been there, you know, from the regional setup um, into developmental teams, into national teams as, as assistant coach and then on, as a national team coach. Talk to me a little bit about that. Talk to me about some of the people that are really important along that pathway um, that have helped you. Um, and do you think that, you know, it's obviously it's worked for you. You know, do you think that that's a really important route for younger coaches in our country? I think it was, you know, I think the, the regional tournaments, um, as much as they were a great event for the players, were probably instrumental for me just at that younger age of having the experience of, you know, being an assistant with, the, you know, the under 15s, the under 17s, the under 13s, then having the opportunity to, to head coach some of those teams. And then, you know, Paul Christensen back then was so influential because he knew the region was weaker compared to some of the, uh, the powerhouse regions. So alongside the, the regional program we had in the Southwest, like he organized a lot of European tournaments. So, you know, I was going away two or three times a year to, to Belgium, to Estonia, to um, France, to Holland, just to play in these invitational tournaments. You know, and I remember the first time we took a Southwest team to Estonia and we lose to the Sabonis school, uh, Sabonis school by a cricket score. Mm -hmm. um, but that was very eye-opening because at the time, you know, and I think it's, it's still true now in some senses is, you know, you get tunnel visioned if you don't leave your environment and you feel like, you know, this is the best thing for us. It's like when you step outside of your environment, I think there's always somebody better. Mm. Um, so Paul was instrumental early on. And I think what was really good, and there was one year I did the under 15s program is when you brought in coaches like Rob Sape, Rick, um, John Collins, um, you know, Matt Johnson, like some of these more established names in the sport, to come and assess coaches mm. and you know after you know i'd coach a game and then i'd have a you know a debrief afterwards and you go through a bunch of stuff and it's all right these are the things that you need to address tomorrow and you'd come back tomorrow and you'd readdress it and you'd catch up again and i think at that time that's when it was it was like a cohort of me richard hill adam pierce adam davies like younger coaches which were kind of all doing the regional stuff at the same time sure. and that's where that then kind of fed into right, well, you know, come back again next year and come back again next year and, you know, working up, you know, a head coach one year, assistant the next year. And then that's kind of what led into, I wouldn't say that led into national teams because how I got into national teams was, I would still say by chance. Um, I'll explain in a second, but I think the, the regional stuff definitely underpinned a lot of it mm. and kind of put my name out there and showed that I was committed to the pathway um, because, I'd, you know, I'd done... You know, I've been involved with the pathway now for the last 11 years. Mm. So I've definitely committed to it. But how I got involved with, with national teams was was a chance, was, was by chance. You know, I happened to, you know, I was doing a lot of networking at the time. Um, I met Matt Guyman in my first year in Kent. You know, we went down to the Solent preseason invitational with the under 18 team. And, 
you know, me and Matt kept in contact afterwards and discussed different coaching things. And then it was one day, I, you know, I'm walking back from university. I get a phone call from Carl Brown and he goes, um, you know, do you want to be involved with a national team? And I'm like, in what, what, you know, this was out of the blue. And I was like, um, hi, Carl, uh, you know, what's the situation? He goes, well, uh, Matt Guyman was the apprentice at the time. And, you know, due to personal reasons, couldn't fulfill that role. So it recommended my name to Carl and, you know, Carl in true Carl fashion rang and said, right, well, on the phone, why do you want to be involved with a national team? So, you know, I gave my reasons and, you know, next thing you know, it's like, okay, leave it with me. And then he came back and, you know, a couple of months later, I'm the apprentice to the England under 18s, you know, that 97 generation. And that was kind of my first, that was my foot in the door. And then from there, yeah, you know, the year after um, I was the apprentice to Alan, then I moved sideways and did two years with uh, Christina with the 15 girls, a year then with Chris Bourne and the 15 boys, and now with the GB16s. Quick question. Um, I'm assuming Warwick had gone by this time, so I think Vladan was the kind of lead. Was Vladan directing this, or was this more you driving yourself and the personal contacts, and, and then it kind of went down that way? How, how did that work? I'm just trying to get an idea of, uh, of, um, of that kind of that pathway and who was actually controlling it at the time. So I think the, the first year I was involved with Carl, um, there was some crossover. So we, there was the Harris tournament at Christmas and for, for different reasons, I think Alan's staff couldn't be there. So me and Adam Davies got moved across to assist Alan at the Harris tournament. And then, you know, around that time, like Warwick was still there. Vladan was around as well. So they were both kind of there. And then it was, you know, after the end of that year, I think that's when Vladan kind of took over um, officially and, that's when, you know, we had the conversation where I'd already assisted Alan at the Harris tournament. Um, he, he, you know, he was happy with that. And I got asked if I wanted to, you know, because it was, it was the idea that, you know, you shouldn't do two years as an apprentice with the same group. So it was like, you've done one year with the 18s or Carl, you know, now it's your chance to move sideways with Alan, um, which was really good. And then there was a, a situation at the end of that, that second apprentice year where I applied to, to be an assistant with the boys um, at every age group, just because I'm like, I really wanted just to push on. And, you know, me and Vladan had a conversation and we saw things differently. And I think he wanted me to go in a different direction, which at that time I probably couldn't understand and didn't understand. Um, but it was around actually having conversations with people, which I still lean on today and then kind of reframing it to say, well, you know, it's a sideward step, and it's a step up because you're moving from apprentice to assistant. So don't necessarily look at it as you're going from the boys to the girls. You're never coming back to the boys, whatever. It's you're stepping up to be an assistant. You've got more responsibility. Oh. It's more about what you do with that and really how you go and add value to that program. So I had two really good years with the 15 girls. And then there was a transition. I think that's when you know, Steve came in and I was asked to then go back to the boys. At this time, um, you're taking a mass amount of uh, 
uh, experience from different coaches. What what are you as a coach? Um, where are you Where are you sitting with your philosophy at that moment? You know, like um, what do you think your strengths were? Do you think you were you know you comfortable offensively or defensively? What What do you think that you, know, you were? Where were you at that time? That's a that's a very good question. Um, it reminds me of that that first weekend on the level four course when I was asked the same question and you know my response to Brian and John at the time was I have no idea what my philosophy is because it was never like coming through it was never really talked about or asked about like it was never formalized it was just these are the people that are around me and I think it was very much well this is how Rick's coached and Rick's had 30 plus years at national team level this is probably a good idea that I should, I should try and follow some of this stuff. Um, so I think early on, it was very much, you know, there was no necessarily real formal philosophy. Um, you know, I think there wasn't necessarily much education outside of your technical and tactical stuff. So I think, you know, a lot of the resources I was getting, you know, through different means were American coaching clinics, um, or you had some stuff which, you know, I'd get passed down because someone was going to done the FIBA course before me and share the DVDs so I could access that. But a lot of it was always around tech tech. Um, so that's what I just assumed my philosophy was. It was, well, how do I coach? Like, what do I, what do I like? You know, what do I want to do in terms of systems? And it wasn't until that level four module where I realized actually philosophy is probably a lot more overarching than just Absolutely. what are we doing on the floor? I mean, that's where at a point now where it's kind of, I think you can have two philosophies. I mean, you're going to have like a general philosophy of this is the type of coach I am. These are the things that resonate with me. This is what I like, what I don't like, what I value. Mm. And then you're going to have like the same thing on the floor and it kind of intertwines a little bit. Um, but I do think, you know, this is kind of having two. Right. I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to ask you the question just after, uh, you know, about where you are, you know, towards now. But, you know, so back then, though, what do you think you were you were teaching well and that you, you know, you were like, hey, you know, I'm really good defensively or um, was there something that you were like or it was just like you were following, you know, the areas of emphasis and you felt you were you had that very well, you know, you were dealing with that in a, in a good way. Or is it is it that way? Because you've had some really interesting experiences in this last say three to four years which I believe would have changed your philosophy in a big way I mean if I'm not mistaken you would you've, you've got three different things that have really changed you 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 go to Myosco you got you you take your master's in elite uh, you know sports coaching which brings you into like you said with people that are talking about um coaching in a much different way but then you also go to the fecc and are right. being taught by world-class basketball coaches no offense to anything that that's in our own country you know which then opens you to a whole world of elite level coaching um so sure. back then was it was it just that you felt i'm really solid i know how to teach i know how to teach the individual fundamentals you must have you must have pinned yourself to fundamental skill training because you know rick yep. was you know very was obviously of the old school where you know the individual fundamentals were so important so was that something that you you felt very that you you had a good grounding with Oh uh, yeah, for sure. I think, you know, Rick was a, 
a stickler for detail, as was Norman. And I think it's because they're, they've obviously both got heavily teaching backgrounds. Um, but that was that was it. You know? And I think that was what it was, you know, for us growing up, whether I was playing, whether I was coaching is, you know, we were always very fundamentally sound. You know, we could do, you know, everybody could, you know, shoot a little bit, could, you know, could pass, could play defense. We understood how to play. Um, you know, there was a lot of screening actions. Um, there was definitely times that growing up, I was told not to dribble. Um, there was definite times I was told not to shoot certain shots because it was, it was just, it was extremely structured. It was very structured, very well drilled, very structured, very disciplined. Um, and things ran like clockwork. And that was just, that was just those two through and through. And then I think when I started to, to, you know, to venture out, I think having that area of, area of emphasis document was, was really good with the regional stuff because it was on, you know, two or three, like the shortened version that was given to coaches, the two or three pages was, this is what a regional team should be able to do, you know, pressing the full court, um, play up tempo, play fast, like those sorts of things that, I felt right. Well, I can start to bring this to life, and because of all the teaching and guidance that I had from those two, and now what I was starting to see, you know, when I first moved to Kent, because even my first year in Kent, I still came back that summer and did the Southwest stuff. Now I'm starting to think, okay, well, this is how I can bring it to life myself. But yeah, I think back then it was very much, you know, we didn't necessarily have talent. Um, you know, there was a it typically went, we'd make the playoffs and lose in the first or second round to a London based team, whether that was in national schools competitions or uh, national league competitions. So it was very much, well, how can we get the best out of these kids? Mm. Because they weren't necessarily just basketball kids, like some were playing other sports and things like that. So a lot of it came down to, well, we can just be fundamentally skilled and that'll put us in a better position than most. So that's definitely probably what it was. When I was younger, I just think I was very lucky when I was younger to have a coaching mentor and have some infrastructure in a club that I wasn't kind of left out just to figure stuff out myself. Excellent. So uh, come, Kent is coming towards the end. I mean, what was the, the catalyst um, to move on to Myersco, um and, and how did that happen? Um, and explain a little bit about Myersco itself. Again, by, by chance. Um, again, it comes down to, you know, I think it's, you know, either you know someone or someone you know knows somebody. Um, and I think that's how a lot of these things will happen. Um, and I think it always comes back to me and just, you know, are you trying to do things the right way? You know, are you showing people that you are committed, that you are putting the hours in? Because I think that doesn't go unnoticed. And I think it was when I was with Carl Brown and the under 18s, I was the apprentice and then Neil was an assistant on the staff as well. So again, it was by chance that I'd met Neil at the time. Again, I didn't know who he was. Um, you know, the same with, you know, Dan Petz was on the staff as well. And at the time I didn't necessarily know who he was. And you know, it was just through that process, you know, being around Neil and, you know, one thing led to another and, you know, he offered me a job in the sense of when you graduate, I'd like you to come and join Myersco. And at the time it was, I don't necessarily know you and, you know, is it true? Is it not true? I don't know. But, you know, we stepped, we, you know, we stayed in contact and, you know, as I started to come towards the end of my degree in 2016, I came up and visited and, you know, at the time that's when you know you see the campus you see the staff and 
very much quickly after that things materialized and you know we spoke about the best way to make it happen and then i joined in september 2016. that's yeah, an interesting one because uh he had told me that um he was gonna go after you um <laughs> and try to sign you so yeah that's a that's a very interesting uh, uh story that's for another day um let's talk about mysco uh, really quickly i mean um you know not neil obviously Neil hopkins has um set this program up but you come in there um mike bernard is you know you've got some great minds it, you know talk to me about something that i didn't speak to neil about but you know unbeknown you know it is it is a really almost full-time basketball situation or as close to it as possible you sit in that office you talk basketball almost all day long um talk about the dynamic and you know been working with mike working with neil um some great strength and conditioning guys as well you know just talk about that whole situation and then also very quickly talk about what 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 does a, a kind of a, a typical week or a typical day look at look like at market microscope i'm busy is probably the best way of putting it um i think you know what you know, what neil has, has set up here is you know it's it's unrivaled in some senses you know because it truly is a professional setup you know in terms of what we you know what the provision is for coaches what the provision is for players and it really is set up like you know a small like junior college you know where you know athletes come in they live on campus they study they get to practice you know play lift etc so that in a sense is is fantastic and i think that's kind of what I really wanted as the next step, because when I was in Kent, it was the academy was down in Canterbury. I was at the university campus in Medway, which was 45 minutes apart you know, via a shuttle bus. So there was, you know, some days I'd finish a lecture, jump on the shuttle bus, get down there. Ivan would come and pick me up, take me to practice. And then I would wait around and then come back with him in the evening when we had the evening practice. So there was like a lot of moving parts where I think Myersco, you know, the fact that everything was on campus, there was the opportunity for me to, to live on campus and take on some kind of like the student um, residency roles just to facilitate me being there. But it meant I could be around basketball as much as I wanted, which I, which I thought really was going to catapult my development. Um, so that was, that was great. And then I think, you know, like you say, it's, the people that are around, you know, you, you mentioned it earlier on in terms of, you know, I've always tried to connect with what's happened in the past. You know, you've got someone like Mike who has a ridiculous amount of professional experience. I don't have that as a player because I got into coaching, you know, very early on in my teens. But just having those conversations and seeing how he sees things has been great. Um, the same for Neil, you know, and like, the same for everybody else on the staff. It kind of is just an extension of what I was starting to see in Kent when you just surround yourself with different coaches who have different lenses and see things different. But now it's kind of really amplified because we are in the office every day. You know, we do spend a lot of time on the road together. And now with, you know, all the European travel, you know, you spend a lot of time, you know, in transit, in airports, in, you know, hotel rooms, whatever, in coffee shops, just talking about basketball and, really engaging around that so i think it's been it's been phenomenal for me do you think um you, you think that the culture that neil has built you know and he you, he would credit you know, obviously you and mike and other coaches you know to be part of that but do you think that um 
you know you are you know that you push and drive yourself to be to be a better coach you know on and and you know every day on the floor you're almost like trying to prove um that you're you know a really high level coach i mean I, that's not really well well put but you get what i'm trying to say yeah i think it, it reminds me of something you said when you came and visited and it was around you know the idea i'm paraphrasing now but it's around the idea that we are on the floor every day. You know, we're between the lines every day coaching and, you know, figuring stuff out every single day. And I think just being in that environment in itself accelerates your growth because every day there's something new you've got to figure out. And then because we're competitive as coaches is we're always trying to push ourselves that, you know, if I'm running a practice and, you know, I've got, you know, Mike Bernard on the side or Neil on the side or, you know, now you've got people like James Jones. It's like, well, regardless of what I've achieved as a coach, you've still got people with a lot of experience watching that they're always going to provide something else. They're always going to try and push you more. Like, why are you doing this? Or what do you think about this? Or you've missed this? Or you know, have a think about this. So we're always pushing each other in that sense. And I think that's where, you know, we're really trying to, you know, just stay ahead of that curve. Okay, like, and not be happy that, okay, yes, we've had success domestically, but it's like, right, well, how do we push to the next level? Like, what's next? What's the next target? What's the next challenge? And I think that's what's always kept it moving is that there's never been a point where we've sat back and said, okay, we're happy with this. Let's just keep this ticking over. It's always been, right, what's next? You know, what are we going to do next? What's the challenge for next year? I think that's how the, the European stuff came about. And you know, now it's kind of, well, you know, what's next? And I think that's what's really been really beneficial. And I think because of the situation you have at Myers go where it's not a club. Um, and I know that ruffles some feathers with some people is that we don't have the infrastructure of, you know, developing our own kids and bringing them in and having you know, a higher men's team where these kids can go. But I think it works in a sense that when you come here, like, you know, you're coming here for one purpose. You know, the, play the players are coming here for, for one purpose, which is to develop and soak up as much as they can to move on. And then it's the same for us in that we know that when those players come through the door is we've got to really maximise their short time with us um, to then kind of get them out the door and onto bigger and better things. So I think that in itself just kind of keeps you on your feet. Yeah, excellent. Um, FECC, we touched on it. Um, talk to me about your experience. Um, very quickly, explain what it is first, um, and who were your kind of lead the lead coaches on your on your cohort, and also some of the coaches that you coached with on the cohort as well. So, it's the FIBA Europe Coaching Certificate, and it's a program designed by FIBA, which selects you know up to two representatives from you know, all the European countries brings the coaches together and then over a three-year program exposes them to you know, workshops, lectures, the European championship. So it's set out to go U16s, U18s, U20s. And the whole aim is around, you know, identifying people which are working within like talent development, youth development, youth teams, and really maximizing those coaches to then go and give back at that at those age groups which is something that i was doing working in academy setup working in you know age group national teams that when the invitation came out to register interest i quite happily you know threw my name into the hat um openly spoke about some of the deficiencies that i felt i had 
as a lack of maybe some of the opportunities available in this country. And next thing you know, I'm on this incredible program, you know, where the lecturers I had, you know, you had, you know, Svetislav Pesic, you had Pablo Lasso, you know, you had um, Janis Dravic, who was, you know, a big Yugoslavian name back in the day, you know, you had people like Arik Shavek. Um, and then my last year when we were in, in Israel, you know, you bring in, you know, Igor Kokoshkov, who's now with the Serbian national team and, you know, had stints in the NBA and is now, you know, head coach of Fenerbahce. So it was just, it was incredible. Um, that experience, so much happened in those three years. Um, but yeah, it was a really, really eye-opening experience. And I think what was really nice was that the year I graduated, which was 2019, was the same year Neil was there with the under-20s. And that under-20 staff was the staff that I first got involved with as an apprentice with Kyle Brown. You know, like Emily was still there, Dan was still there. So it was really nice to kind of see them at the Europeans and kind of be there and, you know, watch those guys, but also graduate myself. Awesome. Now, uh, let's link this up. Um, you you get the role of the head coach of GB and U16s, unfortunately, um, you know, the pandemic situation, but linking the the FECC and your work at Myersco and all of this experience, all the coaches, what are you now, where do you think you are now from a basketball perspective? Um, I know you talk about that you, you know, you've developed, you know, a, a philosophy and you understand, you know, the coaching process, you know, in a much more better detail. But from a basketball standpoint, you're now going to be a head coach of a national team. Um, what are you going to put on the floor um, that's going to kind of, you know, be, be your mark? I think, uh, I think this is something that I've definitely, it's chopped and changed a lot. And I think it's chopped and changed probably more so in the last three or four years than it probably did in the 10 years prior. Sure. And I think that's just because I'm now put in so many situations just because of the nature of what we're doing at Myersco. Like we're, we're chucked into high pressure games and, you know, opportunities where you've got to adapt and think about well, what's the best way to, to move forward that I'm definitely at a point now where it's kind of I'm clear in my mind what I want to do which is a lot of it is underpinned around you know how to play you know versus kind of what player we run in I think mm. it's moving away from you know those sets and I think a big driving factor in that was the year you know what we were doing in the EYBL the, the year that we won it with Neil just around where we kind of reduced the sets we were running and kind of made it more around well let's just strip the game back to its basic essence of we're going to try and isolate a mismatch, find the cross matchup, and this is the advantage, exploit the advantage. And I think the reason my mind is moving more towards that, and probably even more so at the U16 level, is for a lot of those guys, that's them starting their, you know, their national team journey. Sure. So, okay, Please. yes, you know... Are you are you gonna are you are you doing this out of um, like early offense uh, motion based you know type of open type sets? Um, what how are you creating uh, this this mismatch type type basketball? Are you you know is there multiple screening handoffs? What what what's the what's the what's the philosophy behind that? Sure. So I think it's you know everybody says they want to play up-tempo and fast. I think, you know, I've heard that as buzzwords for, for a long time, but I think there's 
actually doing it is uh, is the key and actually committing to it because it is going to look a bit chaotic at times. So, you know, yes, you know, we're going to look to value pushing the ball ahead in transition, hitting the open man, taking the early three, finding that 45 slot drive, those sorts of things. But then it's just, I think mean, one of my pet peeves is, and I've seen it a lot at a variety of different levels, is you say you want to play up tempo, your big gets the rebound and he can't push it. Or the guard gets the rebound and the first thing he does, instead of taking two you know, push-out dribbles, is look at the coach to say, what are we going to run next? Mm. Well, then you're not committing to playing up tempo and fast because you've lost that advantage. So a lot of it is, you know, and it's hard to say without knowing the players that are going to be on the floor, but it's just early actions, you know. So it might be, you know, running a pistol. Um, what are we running out of pistol and having something happening on the backside? So as the pistol happens, you might have a, an exchange on the backside, which just keeps the weak side defense honest, you know, or it's, you know, I might hit ahead and yeah. I cut through and we go drag with a trailer or, you know, so like those sorts of things, or it's the trailer comes, catches it, swings the other side and we go into something else. So it's more around just, you know, I see those initial actions as that's our fast break, but then mm. our actual transition offense is what are we just going to flow into where we can keep the ball moving? We can change sides of the floor maybe create a long closeout, maybe create a gap to drive it. And then it's just under underpinning all of that is just making sure these players understand, well, when this stuff does happen, like, what are we doing? You know, so if there is a baseline drive, where is everybody relocating to? If it does go into the post and we've got a breakdown there, what are we doing outside of that? So again, it links back to that, you know, just having some guiding principles to let them make decisions on offense. And it's kind of like a, a loose framework where, okay, if, if whilst you're, you know, going to do a certain action and the defense takes that away, well, then what's your solution to that? We might go and do something else. So it's encouraging them to do that. Um, and then on the other side of the ball, you know, defensively, that's where there's probably going to be a lot more rules where it's this is how we're going to defend. Sure. Um, and this is, you know, kind of where I'd have more like autonomy. But then the autonomy goes to the players on the other side of the ball. Mm, interesting. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's been, you know, pretty much a core value of my coaching for a number of years, you know, having the creativity and freedom um, offensively, but, you know, with a rules-based, you know, more, more, much more disciplined approach on a defensive end. So great stuff. Um, let's talk, uh, just uh, wrap up the, the Rick Warridge situation. Um, I think it's, uh, something I've, I've tried to touch on a couple of times, but <clears throat> I know your journey. So um, I think it's really important just to hear your you know thoughts on it, but having someone that you believe is, you know, really, you know, is obviously has the background, the knowledge um, and it has this kind of mentorship role, even, even if that's a word that's only just come in, you know, talk, talk to me about how important Rick has been, you know, in this journey of yours. Influential. Um, I think it, I wouldn't be here if I'm being totally honest. You know, I think going back to, you know, when I was younger, you know, it was, you know, he he paid for my level one. He paid for my level two. The the payback was I had to referee a ridiculous amount of school games. Um, and I had to kind of, you know, and I was doing school sessions as well. But that was, it was kind of, you know, it was, this is what you want to do, then okay, like I'll, I'll help you out right now, but then what are you going to do to, to show you really want it? And I was, you know, I was happy to do that. And I think it was, I didn't realize the resource he was when I was there. 
I think like a lot of things, you know, when you step away from something, you realize it's what is true value, I guess. And I think as I've started to progress and I've started to face more difficult challenges, that's when I've really started to lean on him more. Because I think when, you know, when I was younger, I think it got to a point where, I, you know, he taught me everything I needed to know to kind of have some success within that environment. But now I move out of that environment and it's things like, you know, when you know, it was, we had a really bad six months uh, at Myersco where I think, you know, Neil was probably going to hate me for bringing this up, but, you know, we lost to Haringey by, by two in the under 18 cup semi-final, lose to Charmwood in the final at the Harris tournament and then lose in overtime to Manchester at final four. So, for someone who grew up in the Southwest and never really got outside of the first round of the playoffs to now have like three really big pressure moments in a short period of time, mm. that was quite tough to deal with. And having someone like Rick, who's removed from the situation that could look at games and, and can give you advice and give you opinions that helped quite a lot. And then, then when I started transitioning into like national team stuff on a more, like a, a, more, a higher level, if you want to call it that, you know, want of a better word, he then just started to say, well, have a think about this. And what do you think about this? And to the point now where it's just, you know, a lot of the times I go back and it's just him talking about different things, you know, like he, he mentions Humph a lot, you know, I know those two are very close and, you know, he brings out, you know, the different experiences that he's had and what he's seen. And, you know, when he's talking about, you know, when he coached Loire at U16s and things like that, that has kind of gone full circle from, you know, me just listening and learning very early on to me then, you know, really seeking advice because I was unsure of a lot of things to now it's kind of, you know, I think the, the phrase he gave me in the summer when we caught up was if he told me half of the things that I now know back when I first started, like I probably wouldn't have got involved in coaching. But he kind of, I had to go through it to appreciate it. And yeah, I think it's, like I say, it's really important that you have, you do have a mentor. Or I don't even think you call it that. Like I've never called it that until like now when mm. it's kind of become more of a buzzword. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think having somebody just to keep, a, just to guide you and keep you in the right direction was really important for me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it was very influential. As a young, as a <clears throat> one of the younger generation of coaches, um, you know, talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, what I call the coaching fraternity or British coaches. I mean, you know, are you feeling, you know, positive about where coaching is going? Um, you know, do you feel that there's a good camaraderie between younger coaches? Talk to me a little bit about that. <clears throat> I mean, that's a, a million dollar question. Um, I think I think a lot of it for me comes back to what I said, you know, you mentioned before around, you know, who's actually coaching. And I think, you know, there's, it's a lot easier in like this day and age to, to have an opinion on something without actually the experience to back it up or at least have a relative experience where you can relate to maybe something that that person's experiencing or going through. Um, and I certainly found that, you know, what I thought coaching was in Torbay was completely different to when I got to Kent. What I thought coaching was in Kent was completely different to when I started being involved in national teams, you know, and the same when, you know, when you move up in national teams, you know, what I thought as an assistant 
was completely different to when you're six inches to the other side, you're the head coach and you're now the ultimate decision maker. So I think there's a, you know, a massive, you know, kudos to, you know, those that are living and breathing it. I think that is really important. And I think it's not necessarily rushing that journey. You know, I think it's just find some experiences where you can, you know, gradually progress because, you know, I got into coaching because I enjoy coaching. I wasn't, I wasn't coming in at day one saying I want to be a full-time paid professional coach. Where am I signing? It's I enjoy coaching. Let's do it. And I think in this day and age, I think there's, it's starting to move towards some people which are like that, which they're kind of chasing something rather than just fully embracing what they're doing right now and how to maximize that. Mm. So I think it's the, you know, that illusion of, I think Twitter is a, you know, it's a great resource. Um, in terms of networking and sharing ideas, but it does sometimes create an illusion of, you, know, you can you know, be whoever you want and be, you know, have all these great ideas, but then can you bring them to life in a practice? Sure. You know, can, you, can you deal with some of the challenges of a practice when you know, your best player isn't performing or you just had a really, you know, a really bad practice and things aren't going your way? Like some of those day-to-day -day challenges, which... Mm becomes second nature when you're coaching all the time. Yeah. But I do think, you know, I do think it's, it's moving in the right direction. I think there's, there are some really good, you know, coaches in the game. I think we're a lot more connected maybe than I think some people would like to believe. Um, you know, I think there's, there's loads of people that I can reach out to if I need to. And I think that's, what's nice is that, you know, there's, I can always see things through a different lens. Um, but I do think, you know, some of those coaches coming through, in this day and age, um, I think it's really important that they're not necessarily humbled, but they are guided. And I think, I don't think it's happening as much as it did with me. And I think, you know, when I was doing the regional stuff and coming through, it was, you, know, you were, you know, you were kind of coached and you were given mm. feedback and there was a process where it was, you know, when I first got involved with the Southwest stuff, it's you're an assistant and that's it. And you're an assistant until, you know, Paul Christensen feels like you've paid, paid your dues in a sense and earned the respect to those around you that say, okay, like you, you've committed now, you've shown you're committed, right, we'll give you an opportunity where I think for some people, um, you know, I'm not going to throw too much shade, but have they really worked for what they've been given mm. um, or is it they haven't really done anything, but then they want everything. So it's kind of just just, you know, appreciate the opportunities you have and just try and maximize it. But I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, is there some guidance around? Great. Okay, let's finish it up with uh, three quick rapid fire questions. Um, favorite drill? That's, a, that's an easy one. Um, it's, a, like a, it's, a, it's a conversion drill. So like 3v3 or 4v4, um, very simple. You know, you play offense, you get back on defense, team on defense, outlets. And for me, it's just been a, a staple of every practice at some point because there's so many different ways you could take it. You know, you could use it to teach something. You can use it to really drill home and practice something. And then it's a great competitive drill depending on the different elements you put within it. So, yeah, I think that's something we use a lot. Um, I definitely use a lot of in my practices just because – I don't have to worry about setting up a new drill. It's just, right, get into this. The focus is 3v3 conversion. You've got to get a post-touch before it's live. 3v3 conversion, you're going to run drag, whatever it is. So they, you just get into practice really quick. It gets them up and, yeah. 
awesome. my go-to that one great uh favorite all-time basketball coach this was this was a tough one and i've really been racking my brain because i haven't really gravitated to like one specific coach like i think some people might have i think i've always just tried to steal from everyone sure. but i think one person that resonated with me a lot when i was younger was bob hurley hmm. and the re the reason was there was a documentary um which i got through the grapevine called the street stop here and it really opened my eyes up to here's a coach um you know working in the inner city they don't necessarily have their own gym it's a great but he it's a great documentary but, i know it but well. he he yeah. really he really maximized what he had and for yeah. me that like really captured the essence of this is what youth like youth sport is in terms of what we're trying to get from a basketball sense but also you know equipping them with well these are some life lessons that we can take and how do we do that and how do we establish discipline and all those things so he's someone that appealed to me early on mm. just because i'd never seen it done in that way interesting yeah great stuff great stuff bob hurley senior not junior by the way yes um, <laughs> um favorite go-to saying or statement <laughs> i mean there's probably a few that the players could give you um but i think one which is is safe to air is um i, I shout pull it a lot from the sideline um i think it goes back to my first year and we had that division three team where our tallest player was 6'3", and we had no no inside presence. Um, I think it was very much we were the essence of run and gun. I think the first game of the okay. season, we hit, I think we hit 18 threes against wow. Birmingham the first game. And then that just kind of became the story of the year. It was we'd find ourselves down by 10 or 15, and then all of a sudden, everyone was just pulling it from anywhere. Right. Um, because it was, it was the essence of, look, if we get into a half court game, we're not creating a breakdown. So if you're open, just let it fly. And that's just kind of stuck. And I think that just reminds me, you know, especially with shooters, I think a big thing with shooting is confidence. Absolutely. So I'm all for just, you know, letting you know, empowering those guys just to, <laughs> to get it up there. Yeah. Great. That's great stuff. Coach, um, listen, I really appreciate um, your time today. Um, as usual, we could always expand and go forever on different subjects and stuff. Um, I think that, you know, your story is very, very interesting because, again, like you specified at the start of the um, our, our chat that you were from an area that didn't have a huge basketball history and was certainly quite away from bigger bigger cities and bigger areas of basketball playing and so for you to 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 have come from there and to be where you are at this present moment and then with a with a very very upward trajectory you know i i really um you know hope that you know you continue going in that direction um big success for the gb program obviously it, you know looks like it's gonna be another lost summer um but if something does happen you know i wish you success with that and obviously with your your time at myoscope thank you tony really appreciate it thanks for listening to another episode of timeout you can now find all of our episodes on itunes and spotify so please like, subscribe and let us know who you'd like to hear from in a future episode.